Today's show is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Go to AdamandEve.com right now and you'll get 50% off just about any item. All you have to do is enter the code word GLORY, G-L-O-R-Y, at checkout. Be advised that this show is not for children, the faint of heart, or the easily offended. The explicit tag is there for a reason. Recording live from Glory Hole Studios and beyond, this is Cognitive Dissonance. Every episode we blast anyone who gets in our way. We bring critical thinking, skepticism, and irreverence to any topic that makes the news, makes it big, or makes us mad. It's skeptical, it's political, and there is no welcome mat. This is episode 575 you can believe that shit. And we are joined this evening by Kara Santa Maria, host and creator of the Talk Nerdy to Me podcast. You may also know her from Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And I think you've got a few other projects uh, rummaging around in there, oh, don't you? Oh, always too many, too many projects. So last last time we had you on, Kara, we spoke, it was um, in December. Uh-huh. It was it was in December of 16, right after Donald Trump was elected. And he hadn't even been inaugurated yet. And we were already talking about a post-truth ecosystem. That was one of the things that we really spent a lot of time on. We've gone through four years of Donald Trump. <laughs> and is it as bad, the, the ecosystem, the information ecosystem, the, the sort of the post-truth, the, what we were talking about post-truth, is it as bad as you thought it would be right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I would have... I got to tell you, like, if you had said no, I'd have been like, I'm going to leave this call because I don't live in the same world you live yes. in right now. It's pretty fucking bad. Like, uh, I don't know what yeah, to say about pretty that. fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it is as bad. I think actually, uh, it, it actually is maybe starting to get a little bit better. It's hard for me what? because I... I live, I'm coastal, I'm a coastal elite, right? I live in Los Angeles and I see the LA, you know, um, vibe. That said, I'm born and raised in Texas and my parents still live in Texas. So I get reports back from the front lines on a regular basis. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do they live in blue Texas or red Texas? Because Texas is fairly divided, urban centers versus rural, right? Right. They live in purple Texas. So they're in the, they're in the um, suburbs of Dallas. And my mom is, is quite progressive. She wasn't always, but she definitely is now. My father is a Trumper. So it's, yeah. Oh, that's gotta be so weird. You gasped. (laughs) That's gotta be so weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Like, come on. (laughs) It's crazy. He sent me a birthday card last year. So my birthday is October 19th. So it was right before the election. And he sends me a birthday card that said, don't worry, you'll live through another four years of Trump just like I lived through all of Obama. Oh. And I'm like, oh yeah, it must've been so hard for you. Yeah, living through yeah, pretty Obama. much the same. I, I, I don't remember <laughs> celebrating Obama's fourth year with an insurrection, but sure, okay, that's fine. Yeah. 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 So there's that. There's that. And like, come on, how savage. That's his birthday card to yeah. me. <laughs> I guess that's true, that's too. rough, man. It, it's so crazy how much <laughs> politics is, like, politics used to be like, 
like polite people don't talk about their politics. You know, that was mm -hmm. like how I grew up, like religion mm -hmm. and politics and money. You don't talk about them like, in a polite conversation. And now it's like, fucking happy birthday and you better vote for the people <laughs> I vote for. You get, like everything has just gone insane. It's just, yeah. It, wow. And it's definitely been a difficult source for me because I think my father is one of those classic individuals who, you know, Robin D'Angelo is writing to in White Fragility. One of these people who doesn't identify themselves as racist, who doesn't identify themselves as part of a white supremacist movement, but definitely benefits from it, definitely is on the same side of the aisle as it. And there are times when the confronting nature of his ideology is too much. So we'll get in these text arguments, and it's really, really tough because he'll he'll spend a lot of time being like, Carrie, your father's not racist. And I'm like, I just feel like if you spent the same amount of effort in trying to defend why or how you're not racist in working on your implicit racism, that the world would be a better place. But that's that's the first hurdle is just getting to, because like I can sit here as a white liberal who studies social justice and diversity in my PhD in existential psychotherapy and say, of course I'm racist. I live in a racist system and I have internalized right. all sorts of racist ideologies that I'm actively fighting against and I take an anti-racist stance. But until people can recognize that, holy shit, they're just part of the, ah, oh, he's so fucking part of the problem. It's rough. <laughs> it's rough. A lot of, a lot of people too, when they hear that, they think, they think that they can just sort of do one thing, dust off their hands and, and just say, I'm no longer racist, right. you know? And, oh, I, I stopped doing, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't, I don't make any uh, anti-Asian jokes anymore. So I'm not racist anymore. And they'll just dust off their hands and think they're done and not realize it's a whole process you have to go through every day to realize that you're not only living in a system that's, that's a white supremacist system, but you're also constantly perpetuating that through all these little things that you do throughout the day and the way in which you think. And, it, and people just presume that it's one thing or that they can blame one big entity like uh, like the Proud Boys and say, that's it, it's yeah, over. That, you know, that's the Proud racism. Boys, it's their They're fault. Nazis. Yeah, it's their fault. <laughs> yeah. It's their fault. Yeah. yeah. But it's really, it's all of our fault. We perpetuate it well, all and the that's time. The thing. But people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They they don't like that. That's too, that's too icky for them. They, they want to be able to say, those are, the, those people are different from me, even though they're, they're benefiting from a system in the same way that they're, that the Proud Boys are yeah, benefiting if we're from not, the same system. If we're not actively dismantling this system, if we're not doing the right. work to dismantle it, then like we're part of the problem. We're perpetuating <laughs> Absolutely. it. And I mean, Absolutely. Martin Luther King, like in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he explicitly said, like, it's not the clanner that I'm most worried about. It's the white moderate. Yeah. Yep. This is how we yep. keep these systems in place and how we entrench them. And this is how racism yeah. becomes nefarious and under the radar and it seethes in every aspect of our experience. When if all racism was was people using the N-word and like lynchings. Yeah. That would be a very, like, it would be very easy to recognize. Yeah. And unfortunately, sure, there's a sure. huge swath of the population that thinks that that is the definition of racism. Absolutely. Well, we've caricaturized yeah. it as part of yeah. the problem. Like, we've we've caricaturized what racism is, and, and then we've caricaturized the way to, to better understand. Like, the, the right has done, I think, a very effective job in caricaturizing critical race theory in a way that makes it this sort of absurdist mm -hmm. postmodern boogeyman that they can all point to um, and 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 mock and make fun of. But mm -hmm. they, we have to get to a place where we recognize that like racism is not the caricature of racism. It is not to your point. It's not lynchings. It mm -hmm. is lynchings, but it's not just lynchings. Lynching yeah. is the most overt and obvious and kind of the easiest possible target. Yeah. It's also like 
when you pointed out, like, of course I'm racist. Like, I've thought the same, like, of course I'm racist. And that that only makes it, that only makes me individually bad if I say, of course I'm racist and I'm good with that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because, and I just, yeah. I just could act I on it all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> and that works for me. Then, okay, I have some moral... Yeah. But I think that there's also like, there's also some communication that's really necessary to, to, and some messaging that isn't being done where people don't need to feel guilty about benefiting from systems they didn't create as long as they understand those systems and to your point, work to dismantle them for future generations. Mm. And I, I don't know that we message that very well. And yeah. so I think there are people like your father who'd like, look, I'm not a bad guy. I don't want people to think of me as a bad guy. And I'm like, then stop voting for Trump. Right. Well, okay. Maybe that wasn't the right. I think you know what I. Okay. All right. I, I got All right. Point, Kara. All right. That's point definitely Kara. a. That's definitely a point in the bad guy right. column yeah. for sure. But you're right. This you idea that yeah. racism is a good guy, bad guy binary yes. is also yes. that yeah. in yeah. and of itself right. is problematic. Absolutely. Yeah. Racists yeah. are bad. Non-racists are good. Therefore, those people are racist, and I am not. Yes. It's like no yes. racism yeah. is a system, and it's a perpetual system that it's not three dudes in a dark room who are, you know, wheeling and dealing to keep racism going. It's a thing that's self-perpetuating because the people who are in power want to maintain power. And historically, the people who are in power were rich, white, cis, Protestant men, right? So, of course, they're going to try and maintain the same power structures that benefit them and keep them above. That's how systemic racism, sexism, whatever, you know, cisgender, Mm -hmm. heteronormativity, all of that, that's how it exists. And these are not liberal talking points. And this is not me being brainwashed by my liberal education. This is like, (laughs) this is me reading books and knowing things and like (laughs) visiting parts of the world. (laughs) Yeah, right. I want to talk, I want to shift a little. Let's talk a little bit about the pandemic. Um, Joy. When we first, I know, <laughs> it's gone right? so well. We gotta talk about I it. I think it's we just a moment to it. just celebrate how well it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> when the pandemic, when the pandemic first started, there was a, the main consensus was that the the way out of this, the way we're going to get out of this was a vaccine. And I remember seeing uh, people that were polled. Then we were coming back with, "Would you get a COVID vaccine?" When the pandemic first started, was very high. The, the number was high. It was in the, I believe, in the eighties percent. You know, mm. people who were polled, and it has dwindled and fallen pretty sharply. Did you expect, now, you've, you've known about anti-vaxxers for a long mm-hmm. time. You've been, you know, you, you guys combat anti-vaxxers on, uh, on Skeptic's oh, Guide. Yeah. You talk about it. What, did you expect this much pushback from this vaccine in such a short amount of time? I think in a way I did. I was concerned because I see a multi-pronged anti-vax approach here and it's different for different people, right? So you've got your diet in the wool anti-vaxxers who literally believe that there are like chips in the vaccine or who think that vaccines cause um, autism or, you know, these ones who are like, the evidence has been put forward. They're not looking at the evidence. They're ideologically bound to an anti-vax mentality. So you've got that group. And I still think that that's a pernicious group and it's bigger than I would like it to be, but it's still, you know, somewhat small, but it's a very vocal minority. And then you've got your individuals who are vaccine hesitant for multiple reasons. They are 
um, afraid that this vaccine was pushed through too quickly and unsafely. They identified this vaccine with Donald Trump. This is where you see the anti-vaccine coming in, kind of another layer of the anti-vaccine coming in on the left. Um, You see individuals who are vaccine hesitant purely because they are afraid of vaccines or they're afraid of side effects of vaccines. And I think there's, you know, a a legitimacy, a certain level of legitimacy to somebody who is needle-phobic or somebody who is like, I heard from all of my friends that they got brutally ill after their second shot and I'm freaked out to get my second shot. Or I heard that it caused a lot of soreness and now I'm afraid of that soreness. Or I am diabetic or I have these other problems. What will a vaccine do to me? So I think a big part of this has been fucking horrible public messaging. Just failures left and right in public science messaging. Um, And I think that it kind of combines and convalesces with you know, your illegitimate anti-vax rhetoric, and it sort of just like enmeshes in a really complicated way with some more prudent paranoia that individuals have, where if if they had the right information put in front of them, it they may be, th- those fears might be assuaged. And that's why we're seeing that some of the m- best um, sources of turning somebody from being, being vaccine hesitant to wanting to get the vaccine are their individual physicians. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't have <sighs> primary care physicians. You know, there's a large swath of the population that doesn't get regular health care. And so where are they going to hear from a trusted source? Well, they can that, go no, to their death okay. panels, right? They right, exactly. Just, yeah, it's like, okay. yeah, I would do it. How do I hear that? No, it's okay. You know, so the hope is that you have community organizers, community leaders, individuals who are willing to stand up in certain communities who look like me, who talk like me, who sound like me, who come from the same background of me to say, look, I got it done. I'm okay. I feel safer. Now I have freedoms that I didn't have before. Um, you know, you can do this too. I saw really interesting, I actually covered it on SoCal um, Update recently, which is a PBS show that I do, PBS KCET show that I do here in the local LA market, um, where LA's LAFD, a Los Angeles fire department, has a higher vaccination rate than any of the surrounding counties. And some of those counties are blue and some of those counties are red. And what LAFD does, which is amazing, is if you're a fireman, you can opt out of getting the vaccine. It's your choice. We can't force anybody to get the vaccine. Even even at the hospital where I work, you can't force the hospital employees to get the vaccine because it's not FDA approved. It's, you know, it was fast. Right, emergency Uh, use. Yeah, it was emergency authorization. So legally, they can't do that. Um, I have to get flu shot, but I don't have to get my COVID vaccine. I I did in January, by the way. Um, (laughs) LAFD was like, you don't have to get it, but here's what you have to do. You still have to show up for your appointment and you have to pledge, you know, you have to elect that you're not getting it and they have to give you a piece of paper. And just the simple act of requiring people to go means that A, some of them were just like shamed into it because they see all of their coworkers there getting jabbed. Yeah, right. Create some peer pressure around it, right? <laughs> and they're yeah, like, oh, yeah. okay. Other ones yeah. are like, well, I'm here anyway. <laughs> they're literally <laughs> yeah. just like, all right, I'm here in line anyway. Might as well get the shot. Man, I love I the might as well care about public health. <laughs> yeah, brr, brr. Exactly. I love the human animal yeah. because it's just like you can trick us in mass. <laughs> Into doing like the right thing just by being like, okay, fine, I'll go. Like, just like you get a lollipop. Do you want to go? Like, didn't didn't Krispy Kreme be like free donut to anybody who gets vaccinated? And everybody's like, hell yeah, free Krispy Kreme, worth it. We're going to go to the fucking Armageddon because of inertia. Just because it's like, oh, yeah. God, but I want to yeah. lay on the couch. Ugh. Yeah, and you, you're you yeah. right. And there's actually a social psychology component to this. And it has to do with positive risk and negative risk. We identify less risk with negative risk, meaning that if I sit here and do nothing, it seems to us 
less risky than doing the thing, which also has a risk-benefit analysis tied to it. So even though we know that getting the vaccine is almost the safest thing you can do, it prevents potentially deadly illness. And the outcome, the negative outcome of getting a vaccine, like the potential for Guillain-Barre, for example, or any mm-hmm. sort of severe vaccine um, risks, which do exist. That's the other thing. Like, we, they do exist. They're just so yeah, they're sure. fleetingly rare. Fleetingly. But we know that that risk-benefit calculus is better. Yet, we think, well, if I say, stay home and do nothing, I'm not actively engaging in the risky behavior. Like, that's where our minds go. And it's a really difficult cognitive bias that we have to get past, that the do-nothing bias is actually not better for us. It's worse in this situation. We have to do something, and that is get the vaccine. So we talked to the, at the very beginning, the, the opening question was sort of, you know, how did you anticipate it being this bad? And, you know, it was funny because maybe two and a half, three years into the administration, I made some joke on the show, like, can you imagine if something really tragic happened during this administration, mm-hmm. like a pandemic? Mm-hmm. And then a handful of months later, we have this mm-hmm. pandemic. And I, and I wanted to ask your opinion because the, the, the role of public health messaging mm-hmm. and science messaging could not have been more important over the over the last 15, 16 months, right? There, yep. It literally could not have, there's no way to overemphasize how vital yeah. quality science messaging around public health was. And we did possibly the worst job. <laughs> I mean, and I mean that because, because yeah. not only did we send the wrong message, it, it actually, in my opinion, I, I'm curious what you think, we didn't just send the wrong message. We sent a slew of conflicting and confusing messages mm-hmm. from a variety of experts who contradicted one another. Oh, and um, non-experts. Across, yeah, and and very much non-experts I mean, across yeah. many different spheres. So I, I, I'd be curious to get your take on that in general. And also, what's the way out of that messaging crisis? Because we find ourselves still dealing with the ramifications of that messaging crisis. So if I have the answer, do I get like a Nobel Prize? Is that yeah, how I mean, we're going to solve all of these yes. problems on Cognitive Business yes. Podcast for sure. Like, so here's here's the thing. I'm I curious, think that though. we tend to do this, and I'm doing it right now. We use the royal we a lot. And like, are we saying we as Americans? Are we saying we as the American government? Because like, who is we in this? I think that Trump's administration really set the groundwork for just garbage upon garbage. And so not only was there good public health messaging that was pushing and attempting to exist against a background of self-sabotage and against a background of lack of promotion, um, we also, and so it's like, Fauci, for example, yes, we can point to one specific time in history where he did send conflicting messages, where he said, let's not freak out. We don't all need to go and buy masks. And then, you know, within a couple of months, it was like, yeah, we should probably buy some masks. Like, we're seeing now that this is um, an airborne virus. We're seeing that the supply chain is is slightly more functional now. We need to actually realize that this could be a mitigation approach. I do think that there's some xenophobia in that. I'm not blaming Fauci per se. He was the mouthpiece, but I think there's American xenophobia. If we had taken the time to internalize some of the more Asian cultures approaches to preventing disease early on and not been so afraid of it, 
we might have gotten ahead of this easier. And I think, yeah, that does come down to xenophobia and just our customs seeming like they're the better customs and those customs seeming like they're being overly cautious. It's not true. We know now that that's not true. Let's listen to the people who have been through this before with MERS or with um, SARS. Um, But on top of that, you add the fact that Fauci is standing right next to Trump and Trump is saying the opposite of what Fauci's saying. That's confusing to the general public. Fauci saying, let's drink bleach or inject it in our veins or shine a light inside of the body to (laughs) purify ourselves. Yeah, um, and he's basically saying, it's a hoax, but wait, we're going to take it seriously. But also, I burned the book that the last administration made for us. Yeah, right. You know, in case of a pandemic. And like, what is the average American supposed to think? Supposed to do? You know, I, I'm I'm curious because one of the things that you mentioned is in the beginning, Fauci said, well, you know, let's not panic and go out and buy masks. And there were, mm-hmm. I think there were good reasons and bad reasons Agreed. to say that, right? And one of the things is you know, later, additional information comes to light because that's how science works. Mm-hmm. And so then the recommendations change and they continue to change as we move through this pandemic. And I suspect that they will continue to change. And so I'd love your thoughts on, on how messaging should deal with the changes that are inherent in how science works. You know, we learn something new and the general public sees that as they don't know what they're talking about. See, last week they said this and next week they're going to say something else. So I ain't listening to them scientists. Yeah, right. How do we get past that? You know, like there's got to be a better way to do this. It's going to be a hard, it's going to be hard to get past that as long as we don't have, I think, and this might sound like a real leap, but but follow me on this, until we have good campaign finance reform. And the reason that I think campaign finance reform, which seems like it's a completely different issue, I think is directly linked to this, is because the way that, who are the most famous and popular faces within any nation state is generally the people who hold power within government. I mean, you could also argue that Kim Kardashian is more famous than Donald Trump. Um, I don't think that's actually ultimately true, though. I think that Donald Trump, uh, you know, now Joe Biden, then Barack Obama, are some of the most famous people in the entire world. And when you've got famous people who have a lot of power and clout, um, good or bad, you know, polarizing or not, who have to kind of position their own agendas in a way that seems unwavering and unflappable in effort to raise enough money to then run again. And it's all a four-year cycle and I'm committed to this and we're going to get this accomplished. And it's the only thing that I'm talking about. And if I change my mind, I'm a flip-flopper. So I've got to stay the course and let's raise as much money as we can to get elected again. And now my entire term is going to be about re-election. As long as that, and we see it in Congress too, we see it, you know, in the Senate and the House, as long as that is the way that the political structure is going to work in the U.S. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have terms. I love term limits. I'm saying the fundraising component, which is Mm -hmm. directly tied to the marketing, which is directly tied to getting out in front and doubling down and never being wrong and never changing our minds, has created a culture where people don't trust you if you change your mind. People don't trust you if you say, there's new evidence, and I want to now go with that new evidence. And I think that those things are, are, you know, really related until our politicians are willing to say, I was wrong, and not get skewered for it. There's a reason that they can't say it now. It's crucifixion, you know, until they can say, there's new evidence, and I've changed my mind, and that means I'm growing, and I'm learning, and I'm going to now be a better leader, and we don't crucify them. I don't think our scientists are going to be very good at doing that. 
It's like the Johnson and Johnson pause. Like the Johnson and Johnson pause was a wonderful thing. If you ask any anyone involved in the in the science around it, it's from like, a science yeah, perspective, yeah. But from a great. marketing perspective, it was a yeah. massive mistake. Exactly, and, and it's a horror. Like there's that, and that's that's the kind of point I'm driving. Like mm -hmm. there's a massive disconnect between what scientists understand is a good decision and the right thing to do, and prudent and honest and transparent, and then how that's perceived by the public. And that's always been the case. Yeah. So here's my solution. Listen to the social psychologists. <laughs> because social psychologists and neuroeconomists, uh, they study this for a living. And it's scary and sad because it's, when is it most often used? Marketing research. Right. Marketing, you know, it's the big companies who know the power of this and who actually hire these people to help them with persuasion. But we should be doing this in government as well, just back to that Los Angeles Fire Department. Like, it can be used for good and it can be used for evil. I don't believe in good and evil, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and so it's like, yes, there are people who already get this shit and somehow we're right. constantly reinventing the wheel. Let's listen to those people. What do you think about vaccine passports? I mean... I don't really get what it is. Like, I think that's a very vague term that until we've really drilled down into what it means is um, something that I get why people would be, uh, you know, it, the American kind of way is to be like, that's invading my freedom. But at the same time, we have, <laughs> we have passport passports. We're not allowed to we fly have, without like, those. Yeah. Um, yeah. That shows that I did a background check. Um, I have a yellow card that shows I have my yellow fever vaccine. There are countries I can't go to without my yellow card. You have to go. Yeah. Yeah, there's some countries you have to, if you're going to go there, you have to have vaccines. Like if you, you have to have them. And there. I have you got to get vaccines to go to register for school. Like yeah, vaccines I, I, are just part of our public health infrastructure. Totally. I have a pretty intensive yellow card because I spend quite a bit of time in kind of um, more difficult places in South America or in like Southern Africa where there are certain things that you not only are required but are recommended to have. So my yellow card is pretty extensive and I in no way feel like my freedoms are being taken away from me if I travel with my yellow card. Um, well, you, you don't have the freedom to get yellow fever anymore, right. which is yeah, a bit exactly. of a bummer. Obviously. Yeah, no yellow yeah. fever for this girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's again, I think for a lot of people, the calculus comes down to freedom versus, uh, or maybe not freedom, but convenience versus privacy. And I think this is a convenience issue. You know, it's like you sometimes have to give up a little bit of privacy if you want your world to be more convenient. At what level is it too much? You know, a lot of us keep using Twitter and Facebook, even though we know better. We know what what we're giving up right. in privacy. And we know about the overreach that's happening, but we're like, but it's so convenient. They tell me what I should buy, you know? Like, <laughs> like, and people are willing to make that calculus. And I think if you want to travel to a country that's like, we're, we don't trust you, America. You have failed in our eyes. The only way we're going to let you in is if you show me that you did your due diligence, that you, you know, that you got the jab to prove it, like, then now I get convenience. And yes, I have to give up a little bit of privacy to do that. But we already do that by having passports. Yeah, right. For sure, for sure. Uh, I want to touch on something you just said about social media and, uh, and something else that you you mentioned, mm -hmm. a thought occurred to me. Like, when, when you're talking about the role of persuasion and, for lack of a better term, manipulation, the first mm -hmm. thing I thought is, like, there's nobody better at doing this from a data standpoint than social media companies. They're experts. Well, yeah. They've become incredibly good at it. From a public health perspective, I mean, what are your thoughts about leveraging big tech and just monetizing public health outcomes? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that uh, it's we're in a hybrid capitalist system, which is really confusing and fucked up. And so it's easy for me to sit here and go like, ugh, I don't want that because I don't even want insurance companies. Like, I think that, you know, we should have a national health service. Right. Here, here. I, you know, and so for me, it's like, okay, let's make this more corporate. Let's make it more profit motive. You know, like, it, all I see happening when you add a profit motive to health and wellness is that rich people get benefits and that poor people suffer. Um, I see a bigger division between rich and poor, and that's what bears out in the literature. And so there's a part of me that's really stressed out about that. The problem is we're not operating on a clean system. We're operating on a system where you're right, the government has not much funding for this kind of stuff, and big tech has a lot of money for it. Um, I would like to see this be a public partnership. I would like for it to see, be a not-for-profit arm, if that were going to happen, a way that, you know, a Facebook or a Twitter gives back and that it's their choice to do so. I don't think we should let it rest solely in their hands. Hells no. But it would be great to see a Twitter, a Facebook, an Instagram, which is Facebook, a, you know, WhatsApp, right. which is Facebook. Um, no, but to see these different companies <laughs> say we care about this shit and we're going to do yeah. our part to improve public health outcomes but you know that's on them they're a private fucking company and that's that's the fucked up thing that happens when we give them that much power right you know barring any uh newfound zuckerbergian altruism which strikes me as kind of utopian i, mm -hmm. I wonder if unfortunately utopian I, I do wonder, like, why why the government wouldn't just? I mean, I can as a we cognitive distance right now could buy ads on Facebook, and then yeah. Facebook would leverage their data mining and their algorithms in order to push that in front of people. Mm -hmm. And it just strikes me that um, we haven't done that for the vaccine. We haven't done that for public health. We, you know, the state of Illinois has not spent $30 million on Facebook to get messaging out. You know, the U.S. Be, government hasn't done that. You know, I think that there is, so there's a twofold thing here. It, it, on one hand, we kind of have, but we've done it in a, in a more legislative way. So like, if you go on Instagram and somebody's talking about their vaccine, there is a CDC disclaimer that they, it's required that they read, you know, that says like, this is where you can go to get a vaccine. Like this is a, this is actually government overlay. And so that does kind of exist, but you're right. It's not using persuasion science to its fullest. Right. Um, I, I wonder if part of that is because the cost benefit analysis isn't there. Like, is an ad actually going to be what works? Or is it going to work more if like Aunt Mary shares a meme? Right. And how do we get, how do we tap into that? And the question is, is money the way into that? I don't know. Is this a problem we can buy our way out of? Maybe, maybe I just feel not. like money's made it worse. You know, it money's made it so much worse. Yeah. And I'm just sort of <laughs> yes. like, right. man, we're not, at, at the unless we yeah. retool capitalism, I'm just wondering, which I don't get me wrong, totally pro, pro retooling capitalism. Yeah, that's the just, problem. So until you know, we retool capitalism, we have to work with a broken system. Right. It's the same thing that we see with like a racist system, right? Until we make our system actively anti-racist, we have to work within the constraints of a racist system, which is yeah. why we saw vaccine initiatives that were like, vaccines are going to black and brown people first. And then all of the racist fucknuts in the South were like, that's racist. That's reverse racism. <laughs> right. You can't do that. And it's like, no, we're just trying to operate within your shitty racist system. And this is the only yeah. thing we know how to do.
<laughs> well, and then and then here in Illinois, you send it to the uh, to the very red parts of Illinois, and there was you could you could literally like look across. I went to go get it in one of these red rural parts mm-hmm. of Illinois, right? And so you could just look and see there was there was fifteen bays of uh, of of seats with the the cloth that separated it. And they were all, there was 15, there had to be hundreds of places to get a vaccine. And they were filling one tiny little corner of yeah. it. One tiny, you know, cause there's, cause nobody yep. wants it down there in that, in those red parts of, in, uh, but yet they'll scream about how they wanted it, but they only just, all they really wanted was for the black and brown people not to, to not get have it. it right? Right. That's literally it. Yeah. And that's, I think yeah. that's what comes down to maybe that money should be spent less on let's buy some Facebook ads and more on let's get down boots on the ground, grassroots and do some real community organizing because this is the thing that we forget get living in a sort of social media society and living in a society where we've seen how these Russian bot campaigns did actually make um, progress and have an effect is that we also forget that Biden still got elected. And how did Biden get elected? Because people gave a shit and they went out there and they talked to people. And unfortunately slash fortunately, that's how political change still exists. It happens at the local level. It does. And so we need community organizers, again, who speak the language, who look the way the people look because they came from that same background and who are armed with information to say, listen, grandma, I did it. You can do it too. Like, let's, let's go down there together and we'll set up an appointment. This is, uh, this is why I canvassed for Obama in Susquehanna in, in the Susquehanna region of Philadelphia and just like walked and said, you're registered, you're a registered Democrat, you're on my list, do you need a ride to the polls? Do you need help? Is there anything we can do that yeah. day? It's it's about getting the people, even who want to do it, the access, and then for those who are hesitant or who don't want to, meeting them where they're at and having real conversations with them. But of course, the government can't do that by themselves. We have to do that shit. So do you think we're going to hit herd immunity? I do you think, think we're we going to reach that level? Do you? You're optimistic for it? Here, here's why I'm optimistic. Yeah. The data don't lie. And there's a point where the sun comes up every day and the sun goes down every day and you just start trusting that the sun is going to be there. Science is kind of hard to ignore when it's strong. And when certain communities are able to exist and thrive the way that they used to and fewer and fewer people are going to the hospital and normalcy starts to creep into people's lives and the fear starts to become mitigated, I think that people will see that outcome. We're going to need boosters, for example. And I think it's going to become really clear when the waves start to come back and people are going to go, holy shit, I need to go get that booster. There may be, you know, there may be a time, you're right, where our actions let some of these anti-vaxxers off the hook where they get to utilize our own herd immunity to their advantage. But ultimately, there's going to be that sort of tipping point. And when we hit those tipping points and we finally see, we never had evidence to what a world was like when we're vaccinated. And now we do. Yeah, And and I I think that evidence is going to be strong. People are starting to see this horrific failure in India. We're starting to see these global places where the pockets hadn't quite hit. And now what happens when people don't have access to the vaccine? And it's fucking devastating. 
We're seeing yeah. it recapitulated it's all over. Nightmare. And, you know, I think one of the bad, one of the worst talking points, and this is such an American exceptionalism, like bullshit thing, and I grappled with it a lot at the beginning, was when people were like, the vaccine, it's just a conspiracy to keep D- Donald Trump from getting elected. COVID is a hoax, and we're just <laughs> yeah. trying to keep Donald Trump. And I'm like, do you know that there are places that are not America? Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. It's Thank like you. this is not yeah. a domestic crisis. Yeah. It is an international yeah. crisis. What? That is genuinely the most American response to that, though, is to to realize you're the only one that matters. Right. That is the most American thing you could possibly. And I was thinking about that the other day because I was thinking I don't know why it came up, but I was listening to I was listening to Don't Judge Me, this really beautiful Mumford and Sons album that's like it's a um a combination with the very best in Baba Mall. So it's like Mumford, it's called uh, Johannesburg and it was it was recorded in Southern Africa and there's uh, Baba Mall who I think is Singalese and he's um, he sings on the album. And it's, I mean, it's just this amazing thing. And I was thinking, if this were 20 years ago, they would call this world music. And then I realized, yeah. how fucking <laughs> racist is that? So there's our music and then the rest of the world? Right. Oh my God. <laughs> like, and this is a phrase you like Paul Simon who, who like actually was doing stuff with Lady Smith Black Mombazo oh. and was like actually traveling the world he somehow had to just be like yeah world oh. music yeah I <laughs> like, guess it's world what the music fuck? like yeah. I mean in America we know that there are people who don't know that Africa is a continent they think it is a country <laughs> And that people from, you know, Ethiopia and people from Namibia and people from Mozambique and, you know, uh, uh, like Eswatini, like that these people are all just the same, even though they're more diverse (laughs) than any of us are. Um, So we know that this is an issue, but literally that's really bad when it's just the U.S. and the world. (laughs) I love it. I love the world we just music. Put other. That category is now just other. other. Like yeah. what We've the literally fuck? otherized you. We've put it in a category <laughs> oh called God. other. Yeah. 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 I, I, we want to be respectful of your time. We know you only have a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you one more question if you don't sure. mind. Sure. Yeah. Because you know I'm going to answer for the whole seven minutes. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. For the whole seven minutes. 30,000 feet view here. Oh, fuck. And Tom and I talk about communication technology, especially Facebook and sort of the disinformation that spreads on Facebook, how quickly it spreads and how how sort of pernicious that is. You know, it's, it's there's a lot of it. Has technology, this is, a, this is going to be one of these great questions, has technology made your job as a science communicator harder or easier? Um, my job, I guess it depends. I feel like I need to operationally define what is the goal. So when you say my job as a science communicator, do you mean has it made it harder or easier for me to in whatever way I do, improve science literacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Easier. Yeah. yeah. Good. Much, much really? easier. Good. Um, but that's from a personal perspective. It is easier for me <laughs> to uh, improve <laughs> science literacy. Yeah, no, way to throw that in there. Wait, wait, wait to throw that in there. Is it, oh, just for me. Are the outcomes yeah. better or worse? It's hard to know <laughs> because, I mean, there are definitely times when I post things on social media, and I do. I post five science stories a day across social media platforms, and it's been something I do not get paid for, but I do pay my assistant, Noelle Dilworth. Shout out to Noelle. You're so kick-ass. I do pay her to help me do this, and I just think of it as sort of the way I give back, which is that I curate 
about 35 science stories a week from my various feed readers. And then I post them throughout the day, every day on different social media outlets. So if you follow me on Facebook, if you follow me on Twitter, not only are you going to periodically see, hey, here's a new thing I'm working on, or hey, here's a cute picture of my dog, you're going to get mostly, here's something that's going on in the science world that you may not know about. Look at this cool article. Let's read this new thing. And you know, because I curated it, that I've vetted it and I've read about it and I feel comfortable sharing it. Um, that's huge. I couldn't do that before. I never would have been able. It would have taken like it would have been a full time job to do that. Uh, <laughs> for real. And now for real. it's not. Yep. You know, it's it's just yeah. it's not. And so that's really cool. But when you look at some that have a social justice component to them, even though they're completely evidence based, especially on Facebook, are you going to find? trolls that we have to constantly mine out of the comment sections? Are you going to find people that we have to block? Of course. See, that surprises me. As a woman on social media, I wouldn't think you'd have any trolls. Like, that's oh, just no, shocking. Oh, just... never any troll. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Has has social media made my life harder as a woman? Yes, as <laughs> social media. But, but also, it's like, I think it's like any tool, right? It can be used, like a hammer can be used to drive in nails, and it can be used to bash in somebody's brains. Like, I think that social media is in from our perspective a tool that we can use i think from the perspective of the architects of social media and the individuals who actually make money off of social media there is a very pernicious undercurrent there and i think yeah. that ultimately they know what they are developing they know how it can be utilized by bad actors in um in government by individual forces um revolutionary forces who are trying to uh you know um uh, quash fr- uh, free speech who are trying to um, dox political dissidents. And this is really scary yeah. and really dangerous. For my yeah. purposes, yeah. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, people people going to read dumbass shit and they're going to believe what they're going to believe. Um, and, you know, I think we can use the tool the same way that the people who are sowing misinformation can use the tool. Yeah. The problem is, are we putting the same efforts in? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a lot less financial yeah. incentives on our side, it feels. Well, like. that's the problem and with that's, capitalism. That's the problem. Right? Yeah. Like this yeah. is a fundamental George Soros listening. Give us financial incentives, George. Come on. Right? Hook us up. This is I mean financial incentives. And this is why as I become older and older, I become more cynical about the capitalist system as a whole, is that I do think that there are intrinsically sort of sexist and racist and anti-human aspects of capitalism because it's not a bug, it's a feature. That capitalism rewards greed and it rewards a lack of ethics. And so until we really, truly, fundamentally go back to the founders of this political or this um, economic movement and reread some of the founding documents that say, without regulation, this doesn't fucking work. This can only happen with very strong regulation that is imposed from a moral stance by the people in an effort, you know, like torts, in an effort to protect us as consumers. But when we have individuals at the helm who want to repeal and roll back those regulations, who literally believe in a uh, Milton Friedman, like laissez-faire, free market. market. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's so dangerous. And we have the evidence to prove it. Fuck Milton Friedman. That's what we're saying. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Fuck him. Yeah, Kara, if people were going to find you on the internet, where would they look? My main website is my name. It's karasanamaria.com, but also talknerdy.com takes you to the podcast. And I'm on every social media 
uh, place. I, I'd say, to be honest, like on Facebook, that's really just my assistant posting the stuff I tell her to post. <laughs> on Instagram, you'll see like more pictures of my dog and me being like, look how pretty LA is on my hike. Um, but on Twitter, it's where I engage. I've, I'm, you know, it yeah. may be a generational thing. I'm 37. I was born in 83. I, I feel like Twitter hit me at the right time. And I get Twitter in a way that I that the yeah. other social media outlets I don't get. Um, and so that's if you actually think I, you know, you want me to read something that you wrote, probably tweet it. Twitter. <laughs> the best chance of hit, hitting me in the head with a rock. Um, but you can see you can see my work across my uh, across my website, and you can go to talknerdy.com. Oh, and and my Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash talknerdy. Kara, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, thanks for having me, you guys. What? Hey, boss. Yeah. What are you what? running to? Wait, who is that? Oh, I'm just a concerned citizen with a sweet offer. Gary? No. Yeah. Okay. Just stay in character, Ian. Hold, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm out of breath. Oh, would you say that you're breathless? Uh, it's not exactly the same phrase. And why are you breathing like that? Well, I just wanted to introduce you to Adam and Eve's orgasm-shattering new toy, Breathless. Wait, is this an ad? Did you follow me to the gym to do an ad? Maybe. Well, then it's a good thing I brought my ad boombox. Oh, damn! Hit it! Introducing Adam and Eve's orgasm-shattering new toy, Breathless. Breathless. You've got to experience this revolutionary new way to get off. Mm. It does exactly what its name implies. Yeah. You'll be breathless. <sighs> for a limited time only, they are offering 20% off breathless. Just use offer code GLORY for the next 10 days as an exclusive cognitive dissonance promotion. This toy blows, sucks, and buzzes for mind-blowing gasms. A few minutes with this thrilling simulator will leave you moaning and groaning and moaning and groaning and moaning and moaning and moaning until you're out of breath. We have came to team your biggest ever. Recreate the sensation of oral sex using waves of air pressure. Play with 10 vibration modes, including multiple speeds and patterns. But wait, there's more. Jump right in. It's also fully waterproof. Where did the water go? Come to think of it, they probably meant like a shower or a bathtub, not in the ocean in a wetsuit. Although if you're in a suit, you're gonna get wet from the pleasure. <laughs> Enjoy some of the best head you've ever had with Adam and Eve. Breathless. So hurry and get your breathless. <laughs> By using offer code GLORY what? and get free shipping! And if you, don't pay for and it. If you already have breathless, <laughs> you can use the same code and get up to 50% off what? almost any other item. We got the hookup, like a coat okay. hook or a gas line for your stove because Better. you need that if you're gonna mm -hmm. start cooking. Right. 
in the bedroom. Uh, Technology works, and it's got email in it. Uh, thank, thank you, Gary. <laughs> Don't delay. Get to adamandeve.com to get your breathless <laughs> because it's good. Oh. Don't just oh. take my word for it. Gary? It's one of the thousands of satisfaction guaranteed products, right. and it's real good. Gary, <laughs> not in public. We're not in public. We're in your office slash gym. <laughs> well, not in here either. So go to adamandeve.com, use code GLORY, and get breath. Forget the gym membership. Or, or do both. It's probably oh, yeah. healthy to both work out and uh, masturbate and or That's do the sex. With your butt. <laughs> so, um, uh, Code Glory. How would you describe this paint? Wet. And how would you describe to the viewer at home exactly what it is they are seeing right now? I guess they're watching paint dry. For the wonder of television. This story comes from New York Magazine's Intelligencer. Uh, George W. Bush can't paint his way out of hell. The chilling spectacle of watching the political class redeem a criminal again. And this is an awesome article that um, really talks about the way that all of a sudden George W. Bush has changed from the guy who got us into a illegitimate war hunting for WMDs that didn't exist, that he fucking lied about. And now all of a sudden, this guy is like this like happy paternalistic grandfatherly figure. There's so much more and, too. It's stuff we forget where he crashed the economy. He, you know, he, uh, he tortured people off American shore. He held people indefinitely off American yep. shore. And it's not just, it's not just him, right? Because that was continued on in other administrations, but he started it. Well, and that's the thing, like, the, the Bush administration was the beginning and uh, of this incredibly, I almost said slow, but it wasn't slow and it wasn't insidious. It was incredibly fast. This, this new era of politicking and governance and new theories about governmental, uh, governmental power and executive power and the role of the executive in government and uh, this massive expansion of authoritarian rule from the executive all kind of came into being as a direct result of Bush and Cheney and all the rest of those, like, think about those fucking monsters yep, that yep, were in charge. Yeah. The names, the names, you know the names, Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Karl Rove, those guys were fucking evil. Monsters. They were straight up Absolutely. monsters. Absolutely. They were. And they have changed the face of politics. They have corrupted the morals of our country. They have eroded our democracy, and they did it intentionally. Like it wasn't an accident or a byproduct of their activity. Uh, think about like the Patriot Act. Yes. And the terrible yes. infringements on your civil liberties yes. that we all embraced, or not all of us, because I know I certainly fucking didn't, but many of us fucking embraced. Think about like all the gives towards security, all the freedoms that we lost in order to gain a wisp of fucking security, the lives that were lost pursuing this nonsensical idea that we're going to attack terrorism, the yeah. concept, and yeah. root it out across the world. That's all this guy. Yeah. That's all this guy. And now George W. Bush is like the silly guy who can't put on his raincoat. <laughs> yep. yep. He's the guy who's painting. You know who else right. painted? John Gacy. Okay. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy, the guy who murdered kids Dude. and stuffed them in his fucking crawl space. Also painter, by the way. Adolf also Hitler, literally painter. Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> painter, 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 painter. 
Get out of here with that shit. But you know, what's happening though, Tom, is this convenient forgetting that the Democrats do time and time again, because there needs to be, this is only one-sided. There's only one side that does this. It's the Democrats, it's the left, that always feels like there always has to be this sort of slow hand reaching to shake. We always have to sort of meet, yeah. and not only meet in the middle ground, but always cave, always give to them, always say to them, you know, oh, we need to be, we need to be buddies. We need to respect each other's humanity. You know, sometimes people don't deserve that respect. This guy was a fucking monster and he doesn't deserve the respect and no amount of hugs from Michelle Obama should redeem his image. You know, and the other thing that we're doing, Cecil, is we are sort of wistfully remembering a time, right? Yeah. And, and we're yes. doing that inaccurately. Yes. And we're doing that by comparing Trump, or the, 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 the trauma of the Trump administration sure, it's fresh. to the Bush administration. And it's exactly right. It's because it's fresh. But also, you know, the Trump administration's evils and excesses were more overt and they were louder. Yes. But yes. the excesses and evils of the Bush administration were more effective and more insidious yes. because he was a better politician with smarter fucking advisors around yeah. him. Yeah. The only, I mean, so we're sort of, we're not being honest in that comparison. If you compare effect versus effect, what did George W. Bush do? Like he, to your point, he fucking decimated the economy, absolutely crushed it and then tried to throw everybody 300 bucks in the hopes that that would get better. He got us involved in wars that cost trillions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of innocent people. Yeah. Totally fucking annihilated yeah. for no reason. Wars that dragged on for decades that accomplished nothing, predicated entirely on lies for which he was never properly held accountable for. The, the, complete erosion of fundamental freedoms that are inherent yes. in being an American citizen. The idea, the very concept as a nation that we would look to torture as a solution to our problems, to our security problems. Yes. Yeah. These ideas all came from Bush. They all came from Bush. The, the radicalizing of our Islamophobia, the um, weaponizing of Islamophobia, that came from Bush. Yeah. Axis of evil. He used that. Axis of evil. Those were his words. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He used yeah. it as a weapon. And it's, Horrible and it's, man. And it's funny because when we like, we like to think that during the Trump administration, we saw a bunch of apologists for Trump and that felt new to us. But scroll back, scroll yep. back in your timeline, folks, to when Bush was president and look at how many people were fighting and trying to tell you that waterboarding wasn't torture. Do you remember yeah. that? Do you remember that big push about how waterboarding is not torture? Yep. I remember there was a Chicago DJ who said yeah, it time man, and time and time again, and then they waterboarded him and he cried, got up and said, I fucking take it all back. I take it all back. It's absolutely torture. The moment someone yep. actually did it to him. I mean, yep. Jesse, Jesse Ventura, the, the, the mayor or whatever governor of Minnesota, I don't know what they have down there, King, whatever they got up there, <laughs> Earl, I don't they know. They have a different yeah. Minnesota <laughs> system, eh? Whatever it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. you betcha. He, You're he, the leader up here now, He's the leader eh? at a potluck, you know? Oh, uh, get out the big fancy <laughs> snowmobile. You gotta <laughs> hey, get up here, You gotta eh? wear your hat around here. You're an important guy. <laughs> but yeah, that fucking guy. 
I remember him saying, all I need is a bucket of water, a rag in 15 minutes. And I'll tell, and he said, I'll make Dick Cheney. Uh, uh, what did he say? I'll make him confess to the Sharon Tate murder. He said, all yeah. I need is 15 minutes. And he's, and he's right because it's fucking torture. And you'll literally say anything to stop it. And we know it doesn't work. It's literally all, all it is for is to make us feel like we're getting vengeance on people that may or yeah. may not be bad. Like, like quoting, and I'm using quotes here in the most ironic sense, bad guys. Under Bush, we saw the opening of Guantanamo Bay. Yes. A, a, which is still open. Yeah. We, like that is that is an, a detention center where we just pick people up from all over the world with no due process. Yeah. They still have had no due process. Enormous numbers of those people have been found to have been in no threat whatsoever. And they are no different than like you or like me or anyone else. These are cab drivers and dudes with families and yeah. shit that were fucking picked up and tortured and interrogated and stuck in cages halfway around the world. And they're never going home. Yeah. They're never going home. And that's just a thing that we did under Bush. And that is, that was such a fucking horrifying, toxic thing to have done that we still haven't figured out how to close the how fucking to fix thing. It. Yeah. What, like three fucking administrations later, we still have no idea what to do with that fucking mess. We're, Cecil, we're winding down the war in Afghanistan yeah. this year. Yeah. 20, maybe, 20 yeah. fucking <laughs> like years later. Good caveat there, because yeah, we said the same thing before. We have been yeah. down this road before. And every, like every president since Obama, Obama included, said they were going to end it and nobody's yeah. ended it. Nobody's ended it. And what the fuck did we get out of invading Afghanistan? Raise your fucking hand if you know what we got out of that. How that made us fucking safer. Yeah. PTSD. That's what we got. Yeah, right. That's what we got. <laughs> this is 1900. We don't have pills. We don't have, uh, what, we don't have, what's it called? What's that pill that solves everything? Antibiotics. We didn't have that, okay? There's no antibiotics, okay? <laughs> So this story comes from Slate. This is just bonkers. Miami private school informs parents vaccinated teachers may be transmitting something from their bodies. What well, the idea that, that science works? Is that what they're transmitting? I'll tell you what, if you don't have the vaccine, you actually may be transmitting something called COVID. You might be transmitting a virus, literally a vector for disease. Yeah, I guess maybe if they get the Sputnik V, they could transmit something. That beep sound we were just doing. Yeah. A private Miami area school has taken a counterfactual approach to protecting student health during a pandemic, informing parents in a letter Monday that it will not employ any staff that has received a coronavirus vaccination, and those that have gotten vaccinated will be asked to isolate from students who range from pre-K to eighth grade. The thinking school founder, Lila Sentner, explained with a very heavy heart in the bulletin is that Reports have recently surfaced of non-vaccinated people being negatively impacted by interacting with people who have been vaccinated. What do they have, the big sads? What's going on? <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you have that backwards. Yeah. yeah. I think the fucking non-vaccinated people are the threat. Uh, Sentner and her husband, David Sentner, opened a school in 2019, which now has nearly 300 students, paying up to $30,000 a year in tuition and promotes itself oh. as a... Happiness school. 30 grand, value, dude. 30, 30 grand, grand a year. 30 grand to have a vaccine denier. You're going to pay somebody 30 grand to educate your kids and this is their take? 
What to send them to a happiness school? I thought money couldn't buy happiness, <laughs> which, which is total bullshit. It absolutely can buy happiness. Um, emotional intelligence. I'll tell you what, Cecil. In my life, I've had no money. Yeah. I could not find happiness. Yeah. And a little bit of money yeah. has really helped the happiness I will, say, I will say this. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure as fuck can insure it. That's for damn yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a lack of money sure can buy unhappiness. Yeah, that's for sure. It values emotional intel intelligence and mindfulness. What? Science, not so much. Vaccinated adults, quote, this is fucking amazing. Maybe transmitting something from their bodies that could be imp impacting the reproductive systems, fertility, and normal growth and development in women and children. Even among our own population, we have at least three women with menstrual cycles impacted after having spent time with a vaccinated... I love the embedded misogyny in there that, like, men are just fine, right? Well, I'll tell you what. It's got to be for the weak ones, the women, yep. the children. yep. Us men, you know, we're fine. We're look, fine. We can get... Look, here's the thing. Uh, all those womanly gears inside you, they could get spun up pretty easy. So, But us men, no. Like, there's never a moment where they say, hey, you know what? If you get the vaccine, guys around you are going to pop boners and shoot jizz out of their cocks. They never say that. They never say that. It's always, oh, it's all your womanly parts are going to start a spinning. And then what will we your, do? You know, uh, I don't really know what those parts are or what they're called or... How to make them feel good, a uh, woman. I, I them, right. All them delicate mystery bits that y'all have <laughs> down, in, down inside you, there. You, I you mean, they're an enigma tome. wrapped in a mystery. Yeah. They pull out their tome and just blow the dust off of it. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. When they, when they talk about it, the way they're talking about it, it sounds like it's that it's that clip from the from the uh, Dark Crystal where it's the great conjunction. There's three women. They're all <laughs> having their con conjunction menstruation at the same time. It's a great conjunction. <laughs> <laughs> you spend time with a vaccine person, you're just like, oh man, like now I don't menstruate the same no, way? No, man. No, it's what? like the vaccine's like a fucking metronome. It gets you, it gets you regular. It's like metamucil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like boom, boom, boom. You know when you're, you know when it's going to happen to you. Yeah, but you're right though. It's always the it's always the woman gears. It's always yeah. the little bits inside of women that are so easily shifted by any little thing in the world. And you're right, that's just like a deep misogyny that just is always there. right. Because nobody's gonna write down like, you know, I hung around some vaccinated people and now I'm impotent. Yeah. Because then dudes would have to say they were impotent. Exactly. Right? And they're never gonna say that. Instead, yeah. it's like, my woman's got her timelies, you know what I <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I, love it. I don't really know how that works because she does that out in the barn, you know, like a like a proper girl is supposed to. Oh God, Jesus Christ! Get a book, Jesus. literally any book. You I can know. pick one, just yeah. any book. Here's here's Coloring my book. here's my advice to this call. Here's my advice to this school. Stop trying to learn emotionally because it's not working. <laughs> it's just not working. You gotta crack a book once in a while. I don't care how many times you hug, you're not gonna learn about anything else. Like you gotta you gotta hug a lot of things out, man, but you can't hug out knowledge. No matter what you you can squeeze and squeeze and squeeze you're never getting it out of there the fucking happiness oh, school jesus man 30 grand for happiness 30 grand dude jesus that is so much money <laughs> that's a patreon that's i college. want the happiness patreon where you send me 30 grand and i give you a hug i'd like to see the kansas city caucasians that would be kind of you know uh, 
white guy out there wearing a leisure suit, you know, right? <laughs> After each home run, he'd dance around a mobile home. You know, that would be kind of... So this is racist beyond all comprehension. This story comes from Huffington Post. Rick Santorum says, nothing was in America before white colonizers <laughs> arrived. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture, said the CNN commentator. And I was surprised to learn that Rick Santorum was a CNN commentator. Yeah, that, he that was on. He me. was on like crazy. He was on. Uh, he was on uh, throughout the entire election cycle. So he was on CNN as the counterpoint throughout the entire election debacle. And I will be honest, as much as I hate Rick Santorum. He at least had a, a viewpoint that, while it was extreme right, it certainly didn't lend itself to the conspiracy that the vote was stolen. Oh, he wasn't pushing the, it didn't, the steal it did, at stuff, least, the at least steal the, narrative? The, and I won't say that is, that is what his entire view was, because I can't speak for the entirety of his view, but at least what I witnessed, that's what he said. Um, it felt like he was at least on that on that level. But yeah, he's a CNN commentator. I did want to point out though, Tom, can I just read a list of yep. uh, of states named after Native American names? So <laughs> Alabama, Alaska, uh -huh. Arizona, okay. Arkansas, Connecticut, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nebraska, New Mexico, North and South Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Wisconsin, and Wyoming all have roots in Native American language. I've never heard of any of those. The third largest city in the United <laughs> States, Chicago, means it's wild leeks or something. In <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, it's it's literally it's literally a fucking Native American word. I, I want to read his full his full quote here because what he says is, "We birthed a nation from nothing," and I have to stop already and be like. You know, the whole idea that there's a we, right? We, I am a part. Because he's yeah. he's saying we is including himself as part of the European colonizers sure. and essentially saying, I am amongst that group. Right. You, if you are like me, are amongst that group. And we have extra legitimacy as a result, like extra Americanosity, yeah. right? <laughs> as a result of being part of this more legitimate yeah. America. Yeah. We birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but candidly, there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. And I do want to read from this same article. The very foundation of the United States and its system of representative democracy stems from a political system developed by the Iroquois Confederacy of Nations founded in 1142. The U.S. Senate even paid tribute to the Iroquois with a 1988 resolution stating, quote, the confederation of the original 13 colonies into one republic was influenced by the political system developed by the Iroquois Confederacy, as were many of the democratic principles incorporated into the Constitution itself. <laughs> but yeah, man, haven't contributed much to American culture. No. Also, like, you know, it is true that we did subjugate and slaughter those people and repopulate or or home those people into fucking, you know, reservations and whatever. So it's it's not like, oh, we showed up and there was nothing here. It's like we showed up, we fucking conquered it with violence, 
with disease, yeah. with lies and manipulations, with outright warfare. And then it's like, well, you know, there wasn't really much here. Well, because you destroyed yeah. what was here. <laughs> you, I'd be like, I'd be like, it's Cecil, if I showed up to your house and shot your whole family, and then I was like, you know, I built this house from scratch. There wasn't a fucking house here when I there showed up. There wasn't anybody here at all. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I gotta say, you haven't really been keeping up the house yeah, very much. Well, you fucking killed me. It's kind of your fault I took it over. I mean, now it's really <laughs> your fault. What were you wearing? What was the house wearing? <laughs> <What? laughs> Maybe the Native Americans shouldn't have been out so late. Yeah. <laughs> Whose fault is I it? I can't believe he wasn't fired for those comments either. It's it's weird, man. I you know, he's he's such a piece of shit though, and he's been a piece of shit forever. Let's not forget how fucking anti-gay this guy is. Oh, I Let's know. Let's not forget. Yeah. You know, the reason why we even know the name Santorum is because of Dan <laughs> Savage, who who made his name synonymous with the uh, the discharge that comes out after anal sex out of an asshole. <laughs> like that's what he he made he made it so that people when yep. they search for Santorum, that's what they find on the internet. So there's a reason why, and it's because he's such a despicable shitbag. That's why. Yep. Yep. CNN knew what the fucking snake was when they picked it up. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's just, right? I, you know, I don't want to hear any fucking nonsense about cancel culture, though. Right, right. right. Here's a motherfucker who basically was like, Native Americans weren't here and they aren't people and they never counted. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, where's, Holy where's shit. cancel culture when you need it, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're canceling everybody. Uh, well, I don't know, man, because yeah. the bar is pretty fucking high. Yeah, I don't know. Because here's a guy who yeah. just shat on all of Native Americans. <laughs> you could be the worst LGBTQ bigot and still be bad against Native Americans and no one cares. <laughs> right. You're still getting a paycheck on a liberal news yeah. network. Yeah. Oh, the liberals cancel everybody. Except for this guy. <laughs> this guy. Holy <laughs> shit. So I want to thank our patrons. Of course, we want to thank all our patrons. We want to thank our newest patrons, Allison, Juliet, Farharder, Kandalian, Shelly, Pamela, Daz, Goat Queen, and the people who up their pledges, Samalama Ding Dong and Laura, thank you so much for your generous donations. We really do truly appreciate it. Glory Hole Studios would not exist without you, especially now that we've been demonetized by YouTube. So thank you, <laughs> patrons. We really do appreciate it. If you were going to super we chat do, this very week, much. guys, if you were going to come and super chat and you saw super chat was off because YouTube says we were harassing people or something and they canceled our super chat, go turn that into a Patreon. Go over to Patreon, become a patron on a per episode basis. You get extra stuff and we love you for it. So thank you so much, all you patrons. Got a little bit of email we want to go through uh, this last week. We got an image from Holly. And Holly sent in an image that just uh, that just really captures Josh Duggar's uh, arrest today. And we're going to post it on this week's show notes. So go check it out. Uh, this is 575. Got a, we got a message, Tom. Last week, you and I were talking about uh, filming the police. Jeremy sent in a message. And it's a Gizmodo article that says, there's 12 states you should not be filming the police in. Yeah, this really surprised me. And I, I I read through this, our whole Gizmodo article, and it's crazy because uh, Illinois is really the state you most don't want to film the police in. We have some of the most um, restrictive double, like dual consent restrictions around eavesdropping, wiretapping, and filming. Basically, though, the thrust of the article is 99% of the time, you can film whatever the fuck you want in public. 
But when you're filming the cops, they will use the anti-wiretapping and anti-surveillance laws that are available to them to prosecute you in order to restrict your surveillance of the police. That's so ridiculous. E even though you might be in public, even though it's entirely reasonable for you to be filming your kids in public or and other people are in the background or filming you know, a building and people are walking past it and no one's going to bother you. If you film the cops in these 12 states, you could be in for real trouble and they are prosecuting. There are examples from the Gizmodo article. So thank you so much for sending that in. I know the advice that we gave that was to film the cops at all times. Well, don't do that without knowing the risks. Yeah. So you know should know that there are risks. Sure. No, yeah, and knowing your knowing your twelve states for sure, um, and of those states, Illinois is on there. So is Massachusetts and Maryland. Those three states don't feel like they're very conservative, but they have very conservative laws when it comes to filming people. So check it out, double check, make sure your laws allow you to do it. We got we talked about My Little Pony uh, last week, and we got a lot of messages about it. One person, this is Carl from Germany. Carl sent in a message, and he said. Uh, that uh, that he heard about, uh, you know, the neo-Nazis hijacking My Little Pony. And he said it reminded him of a story that he read about furry community a few years ago that basically had the same problem. And we talked about this. The reason why that is is because those inclusive communities allow people in and then you have that one frame of reference that you can talk to other people about and then their infectious bullshit garbage that they're going to spew on you is easier for you to swallow because they're they're part of the same group as you. And so they have this in with you yep. that other people don't. And they can influence you and other people to believe dumb shit like the neo-Nazis believe. Yeah, there, it's, it's crazy that there is no place that seems safe from the infiltration of white supremacy. Yeah. And yet we are still having a debate about whether or not white supremacy exists. Got a message. Uh, this is from... A uh, person who doesn't want to tell us who he is, uh, he says that he's uh, uh, he's he wanted to talk to us about marriage because mainly he's in a relationship now, a marriage relationship now, but he's also polyamorous. His family's polyamorous, and they want to sort of be part of a polyamorous relationship that also includes some sort of marriage, but can't do it. So the other person will that wants to be part of this relationship will never be able to be really fully a full-fledged member of that relationship because our governments are based on a marriage system that is different, that is basically monogamous and religious. And there's not any room for this sort of thing in, in, uh, in the government because the government sort of takes on the religious institution of marriage. And it's interesting because I was thinking about it, I was wondering... Because the first thing that popped into my head was, well, what do you do with insurance? But insurance doesn't discriminate when it's kids that get married or get kids that get born, right? So if I have a bunch of kids, I still have to pay, you know, a little extra for the deductibles or whatever, and I have to pay more money as a as a primary or whatever in the in the in the principal that I have to pay the insurance company. But they don't they shouldn't be stopping my coverage because I have kids, right? They they just, you know, if I have five, six, seven kids, it doesn't matter. They still have to insure me and then I have to pay those, those fees. Why couldn't that be? The, that's the only thing I could see that would be the real issue, would be the, the stopping point legally for other people to have a relationship where there was multiple consenting adults in a relationship. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand. 
I don't understand why that, that gets blocked. And the only reason I could think is because it's religious. Yeah, and it is because it's 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 religious and people feel like judgmental and shitty and squeamish about polyamorous relationships because there's not that many of them. Like it's at the end of the day, it's drops in the bucket financially. I yeah. don't think there's a massive financial impact because there's just not a massive number of polyamorous relationships that have that kind of, you know, yeah. long-term commitment where they would have a, a big financial impact on on medical insurance. I don't th yeah. I think that that's like maybe what people would say in order to hide their bigotry against these relationships. Yeah. Got a message from Matt number 1 and he sent it he's like I just wanted to let you guys know I couldn't even find the message that I sent you guys farthest back, but he did but he did quote a message that he sent us from 2012. <laughs> so that's really early on too. That's like that's like a year in. Yeah, so man. He sent us. He sent us, Matt's been with us for a long time. Thanks long for being time. a listener, Matt. That's awesome. We got long messages about uh, My Little Pony and how it's far right, and how the show itself might be a little problematic and lean into that a little, or at least be easily interpreted as sort of a right-leaning, weird, racist thing. Because the one that the one that uh, stands out here, Tom, is they're they're talking about all the different types of animals in that in that uh, cartoon and zebra <laughs> zebra is listed as very clearly African. And that to me is like, ah, I don't Man, know that I like that at all. I don't know why cartoons have to do that shit, yeah. but a lot of them do that sort yeah. of shit where they're just like, let's have like ethnic characters. You're like, no, don't do that. Don't yeah, do that. Really bad. You shouldn't be doing why that. Why are you doing just don't yeah. just it. Let the ponies be ponies and the deep just why do you have to do, do you remember that? when we were watching the uh the phantom menace and all this oh. is uh the the oh star wars God. movies and the fucking the the business guys were asian racist stereotypes yes. <laughs> you're just, and you're just like holy shit they can't pronounce r and you're just cringing the whole time it's so it's, bad it's just Phantom a different Menace time. Is so full of racial yeah, stereotyping. It's, so and it's just like, look, I, I know what you're doing, even with a mask on. Yeah, I know. You're not masking <laughs> so it that bad. well. So bad. Jason's in a message and he says, you guys were talking about the, how the cops lie. What do you guys think about how the cops are allowed to lie to suspects during interrogation? What about those other lies? I think that is such bullshit. I I think that, you know, the the way in which we we allow police officers to bend and break ethics all the time to try to get quote unquote somebody to confess. I mean, I just think about all those people that had false confessions and how, how often those people are lied to. And it doesn't like, just like we were talking about torture earlier, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a good result, right? We, we've seen that they lie and manipulate people and it gives us a bad result in the end. Someone is exonerated yep. because they didn't actually commit the crime. So why allow them to do it? It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't give them a, a benefit. All it does is allow them to get something quickly done and get a collar quickly. And that's not beneficial to anybody. It's not beneficial to society because the person who did the actual crime is out on the loose. And it's not beneficial to the person who got tricked. It's not beneficial to the institution because they look like assholes. It's not good at all. I don't know why we allow it. Yeah, I, there, there are a lot of times where and they're not lying about small things. They're lying about things like, hey, we know we've got you. The repercussions are enormous. We can we can ameliorate the damage for you if you'll just confess. So somebody's sitting there 
and they think like, holy shit, I didn't do this, but I'm going to go away for it anyway. And they've got all this shit. But if I say that I did it, I'll get 10 years instead of 30. And so right. they're doing a kind of like trolley problem calculus based on inaccurate information. And so then they confess that's bullshit. They should absolutely not be allowed to, to use that kind of intimidation tactic. They should not. So I want to thank Kara Santamaria of the Talk Nerdy podcast uh, for joining us today. She also does Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and she does uh, all kinds of other video and uh, science communication. She's a wonderful guest. We want to thank her for taking time out of her day to come on our show and talk to us. Uh, she's a real treasure, and we're so happy that she was able to join us. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Be sure to join us on our live streams. We had to move our live stream up a little bit this week because uh, we, we recorded with Kara early. So uh, so if you missed it, you can catch the repeat or the restream or whatever afterwards. Uh, we moved it up uh, two hours, but we will be back normal time next week, 9 p.m. So come check us out. Uh, we'll be doing our normal thing on live stream. Uh, we do it every week and we have a lot of fun. So come check us out. Come chat with us. Come hang out with us. That's going to wrap it up for this week. We're going to leave you like we always do with the Skeptics Creed. Credulity is not a virtue. It's fortune cookie cutter, mommy issue, hypno Babylon bullshit. Couched in scientician, double bubble, toil and trouble, pseudo quasi alternative, acupunctuating, pressurized, stereogram, pyramidal, free energy, healing, water, downward spiral, brain dead pan, sales pitch, late night info docutainment. Leo Pisces, cancer cures, detox, reflex, foot massage, death and towers, tarot cars, psychic healing, crystal balls, Bigfoot, Yeti, aliens, churches, mosques and synagogues, temples, dragons, giant worms, Atlantis, dolphins, truthers, birthers, witches, wizards, vaccine nuts, shaman healers, evangelists, conspiracy, doublespeak, stigmata, nonsense. Expose your signs. Thrust your hands, bloody, evidential, conclusive. Doubt even this. The opinions and information provided on this podcast are intended for entertainment purposes only. All opinions are solely that of Glory Hole Studios, LLC. Cognitive dissonance makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, currentness, suitability, or validity of any information and will not be liable for any errors, damages, or butthurt arising from consumption. All information is provided on an as-is basis. No refunds. Produced in association with the local Dairy Council and viewers like you.